Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. Those that are watching online, True Worth in the Sanctuary, uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to find the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. There's Bibles over there in the sanctuary in the pew in front of you. Uh, True Worth, they'll hand them out if you're online. Uh, you'll have time to find it here in this worship body in the ark. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll bring it to you. you got plenty of time. They'll just walk the aisle, and uh, eventually they'll get one to you, and you're welcome to open the Scriptures to the Gospel of John. Now, while you're getting situated... I promised here a few weeks ago, if you call this your church home, I told you on this weekend, I would give you an update on our Now One More campaign. So I'm about to do that. Now, if you are new to Pathway, for the past six to seven weeks, we went through a series called Now One More, and it really was a time of spiritual growth of vision casting about the new thing that God was doing and where we were headed in the future. And I told you, if you call this your church home, when we began this six-week journey, uh, that it was not about the end big number, that this, what, how much money was going to be raised. Uh, it's still not about that number. Uh, it's about the one more. It's about one more person, one more family having an experience that totally transforms their family. And now I'm going to share with you in a moment uh, the, the number. I will give that to you. But, but more importantly, I want you to hear some other things. I want you to hear that over 375 households uh, have made a commitment in this experience, that they went through this six-week journey of prayer, of uh, self-reflection, of where do I fit in and what God is doing in this church and how can I, God, be a part. And there are some stories in each one of those that are just amazing. Um, I, I know of a family that cut the cable. I mean, they literally cut the cable. Uh, not just so they would find something to reprioritize to give, but so they could actually talk in their family more about life together instead of just watching the boob tube. Uh, they actually would have conversations with each other and just talk about life and interact with faith and stuff. Uh, I know of a single mom who's not yet been able to give, and she hopes to be able to give, but let me tell you what she did. Uh, she made a commitment to start tithing. Uh, never had tithed before in her life. Single mom. Uh, to live by a budget, saving on a regular basis, and to get out of financial insanity and really trust God in this area of her life. And she's experiencing spiritual vitality and growth. Uh, I could tell you so many stories of what God has been doing. Uh, we are a stronger church spiritually uh, because of this journey. We are not the same as when we began. I think we have clarity on our mission and our purpose, and where God is leading. And I thank you for that. So I'm going to share with you the big number, but the big number is not the big end. We're on a beginning. This is just kind of a journey. This is not the end. We have a ways to go. But right now, we are just a little bit of change, just barely under $5 million in commitments, and that will be worth celebrating and give a bright big thanks to God about. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Uh, when we began, we began this journey, which would event into a new worship center. Uh, our, our consultant told us that if you got a little over $5 million, uh, that would be a good campaign. That would be great. Well, we're going to excel that, it, it, see that easily. We see that happening. Uh, and our, and our, our church session, your church session, the elders of this church, had a number in mind that if we got to that number, uh, we would be able to push the button and go ahead and reclaim the ark and build the new worship center. And I, I would guess we're going to be there just pretty shortly because many of you are still making decisions and doing that giving thing and figuring it out. And so I'm I just here to thank you. We're, we're in a good spot, and we'll continue to communicate. 
uh, what we're going to be doing, what the plans are, and how that all changes. So just kind of letting you know that. Now, this morning, though, uh, we are changing gears and have a new message series we're calling All What Fun. And for some of you, Christmas is not All What Fun. It's All What Fun. <laughs> and the actual title this morning of this particular message is Getting Christmas Right. And I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think of a time in your family uh, when you really got Christmas right. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to think about it. When you know you got Christmas right, you got to the end of Christmas, you were through the season, and you look back and you mean, you know what? It went like we expected. It went like we planned. Uh, I'm not right now feeling overexhausted. I wasn't minimal stress. I'm not dreading the credit card bills coming up in January, right? I'm in a pretty good spot. And Jesus was at the center of our family from beginning to end all the way through. Uh, again, I want to ask you, can you think of a time in your family, honest now, where you got Christmas right? Think about it. One of the most vivid memories of our family was 2005. Uh, that year in Pathway where we, the genesis of what we call now birthday gift to Jesus. And for those that are new here, don't, I know you heard this term before, um, here we do something called birthday gift to Jesus. And in 2005, we had an epiphany here at Pathway that Christmas was not our birthday. For some of you, I know it's a revelation <laughs> because you think it's all about you. And, man, we gift each other like it's our birthday. And it's not our birthday. It's Jesus' birthday. So in 2005, we came up with this challenge for people to cut down on the spending, the lavish, over-the-top, crazy spending that you do in your family. Cut it back and match whatever you do, spending, giving to each other, and bring it on Christmas Eve as your birthday gift to Jesus. And then we would use that money throughout the year to bless people in our backyard and all over the world. And uh, over $2 million, you have done so uh, since 2005. That's amazing. And so Dallas and I, that year, we said, we got to get serious about that. And we did. And, and we slowed things down in our family that year. Uh, we really slowed it down. We got serious about trying to get Christmas right. And we kind of opened up our lives to people that we haven't done usually before at Christmas season. We're so busy, right? So we slowed it down and opened our lives up and our homes up to people who were seeking and searching for answers. They could come to our house or they could call us more. We would stop and interact more. We opened up our closets. We began to give away stuff to other people that we still used. But maybe they needed it more than us. Uh, we opened up our lives to the scriptures during that time and really was in the word of God in a new and fresh way leading up to Christmas. And I will tell you, it all kind of came to a head, a, a, this, this climactic point, convergence on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, I remember our family, we came to Christmas Eve worship just like you, went through all the Christmas Eve services I did and we gave our birthday gift to Jesus. And when it was over, went home, I circled back up with my family, and we watched our traditional, funny, fun-filled Christmas, makes-no-sense sort of movie, Chevy Chase Christmas Vacation. 
And so we did all that, and when it was all over, the boys were set free to do their thing, and Dallas and I stepped outside just to have a moment with the two of us, reflecting upon all that had taken place. And we looked up into the heavens, and I remember it like it was yesterday. The stars were brilliant. It's like you could reach up and pull a star down and hold it in your hand. They were so thick. They were so brilliant. It's like the galaxy was hovering upon us. And I remember us looking up at the starry night and going, whoa, God, you left the beauty of that. You left heaven. You left eternity. And you came to planet Earth so we might have access to you. And there was something about that experience that just kind of riveted us as we reflected upon that truth of what God had done. And God, you didn't leave the beauty of that and come here to be born in some palace, uh, not some royal private place for the elite, some unique birthing center that nobody had access to with guards and security. You came and were born in a stable, a cave that anybody could come to and see. The weak and the strong. The poor and the rich, the single, the married, the lonely and the surrounded, everyone can have access to you. And I went, whoa. I mean, it just hit me between the eyes. And Dallas and I kind of stayed there for a few moments and kind of really digging in and accepting that truth and experience. And we went back indoors. Uh, we did our parental thing that you have to do on Christmas night. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. And we opened up the Bible with our kids. And we read the Bible, part of the Christmas story with our family before any presents were exchanged. And we didn't do it a long time, 15 or 20 minutes. And I asked a question, hey, 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 kids, uh, what does this mean to you? Just tell me. What about the story resonates with you? What? And we just kind of talked about that for a few minutes. And then we had our gift giving. And it was a great time. And when it was all over, I, I looked back and I went, whoa, man, this year uh, we got Christmas right. Because right now, I'm not worried about January. I'm not stressed out. I'm not exhausted. I'm not wasted. I'm not so tired. I don't want to see anybody ever again. You know that sort of feeling? Uh, I'm not worried about the credit card bills that are coming in because we got that in a good spot. And Jesus was at the center of our family from the very beginning to the Christmas celebration. Let me ask you again. Can you think of a time in your family where you got Christmas right? I mean, some of you right now, you're already dreading Christmas. Uh, you just wish it'd be over and done with already. Because already in your family, you're experiencing the tension, the pressure, the dysfunction, the anxiety. It's off the roof about everything that has to happen and happen in a certain way. Uh, some of your families, you're already experiencing, we light this candle of hope. Well, you're not experiencing hope. You're experiencing more despair than you are hope. Uh, next week's the candle of peace. Huh. In your family, you're always already experiencing more conflict uh, than you are peace. Uh, the next week will be the candle of joy. And some of you are experiencing more sadness and pain and suffering right now than you are joy. 
And some of you are experiencing more frustration with your family <laughs> than feelings of love. All sorts of reasons why you're there. Uh, for some of you, 2019 was a rough year. You lost someone in your family. Someone died unexpectedly, or maybe even expectedly, but still the pain was pretty great. And it's the first Christmas without this person that you love, without this parent, without a child, you had a miscarriage, a brother or a sister, a grandparent who was the matriarch or the patriarch of the family. And boy, it's just pretty rough on you. Now, for some of you, you lost your job. It's really been a battle taking care of the bills. Or maybe you're single and you were married last year, and now it's all on you. And not only is it on you, now you've got to deal with the ex, with the kids, and what's going to be and what's going to happen. Oh, what fun. Now, for some of you, it's not quite so heavy and dramatic. For some of you, uh, it all started off pretty good because last weekend, uh, you loaded up the kids and the family. And you said, we're going to go get a live Christmas tree. And you went out to get this live Christmas tree, and you found out a $150 tree now costs $250. And you've got to have a brand new stand for it. Right? And that's another $35 or $40. And to lash it on your car, you got to now pay for the rope, which is another $10 to $12. And they won't do it for you because their insurance won't allow it. you got to put it on your own car. Or maybe some of you, you decided to go to a tree farm and like Clark Griswold to cut down your own tree. And you forgot the saw. And you got out there, and you finally figured it out, and you cut it down, and you realized it was too big for the car. You couldn't even get it on top of the car without seeing anything, or you got it home, and it was so gigantic in your little old video out, and it was just, ah! And for you, it started off a fun experience, right? We're so excited, singing Christmas carols, oh, what fun, and it ended up when you got home, oh, what fun. Scrooge. And you just wish Christmas was over already and it hadn't started. And there are some of you, you can't wait to go to work tomorrow. You had all the family you can stand. <laughs> you want to go escape and work the stress and the anxiety and the pressure and the family and the expectations of Christmas and holidays and all this stuff. And, uh, because you know you're already exhausted. You're already overspending, and you're already overscheduled. First thing, your message notes. If you're going to get Christmas right this year, and I want you to, you've got to get deliberately intentional. Pastor? Do those two words really go together? Can't you just say intentional? No. There are some seasons, intentional is not good enough. You have to be deliberately intentional with what you're going to do in your house over the next few weeks. Because the forces of this world and the pain and the baggage of your family, all that stuff is so powerful, it will suck you into the vortex of doing repeating, repeating, repeating everything you've experienced before. And if you've not figured this out, there are marketers who are spending millions of dollars to get into your brain, to find out exactly what you need and what you think you need and what you want, 
and to convince you you will not be happy until you buy this for your kid. Your kid won't be happy. Your marriage won't be right unless you spend and buy this. And you get sucked in so quickly, spontaneously, and you're in trouble. You've got to be deliberately intentional. So here's what I'm about to do. I'm going to pray, and then as quickly as I can, I'm going to coach you this morning. More teaching, less teaching, more coaching and mentoring. Some very practical ideas when grounded in Scripture to help you that you can practice. You're not going to have enough room, some of you, in the notes of this morning. I'm going to throw so much stuff out, particularly in points two and three. You're going to have to scribble on the backside of your worship guide somewhere. Very practical coaching tips to help you get Christmas right this year in your family. So, God, before we open your word again, we acknowledge uh, that we are here in your presence. And there are some of us, God, <laughs> need some help uh, because we're already kind of feeling it about Christmas. And uh, this year we want it to be right. We want to get it right. Uh, we really do, God. Uh, we experience the love, the hope, the peace, the joy uh, that came to us from heaven through the person of Jesus. And some, just to know really who Jesus is for the very first time. So I pray by your spirit you will open our minds and our hearts and to the possibilities of how we can function in these coming weeks. So we can say we got Christmas right that you'll be glorified and people will be blessed, especially in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to get Christmas right this year. Tell them, I'm going to get Christmas right this year. I tell them, hey, together, let's get Christmas right. Let's do it. Let's get it right. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. John the Baptist, the one who's preparing the way for Jesus. Down there in verse 29, he turns and says, hey, look, guys, you guys that are following me, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The disciples that are following John say, really? That's him? That's Jesus? That's the guy you've been talking about? I say, yeah, that's him. So they leave John. They start following Jesus. And then we're told over here in verse 38, that same chapter, Jesus noticed some stalkers were following him. So he turned around and said, hey, guys, what do you want? What do you want? If you want to be a follower of Jesus, can I suggest instead of being the one with all the answers, you be the one with the right questions? Jesus was a master of asking the right question at the right time, not always giving the answer. He himself was the answer. What do you want? Over here in John chapter 5, we read about this place. There was this pool where people who were hurting and suffering would go and get in the pool and get relief. And we're told in verse 5, the scripture says a man there, he was an invalid. That's how they describe him. He was there for 38 years. Jesus sees him. He goes to him and says, hey, listen, man, do you want to get well? In other words, what do you want? Jesus wants you and me to speak out loud the deepest desires and needs of our heart and our soul. What do you want? First thing you know, it's getting very practical. I have to know what I want from Christmas. Notice not what I want for Christmas, 
What do I want from Christmas? For my family, for my marriage, for my calendar, for my budget. What do I want from Christ, from Christmas, for us so we can get Christmas right? Now, here's the reason why so many of you, during this season of the year, you have so much dysfunction, so much chaos in your family, so much tension, so much relational garbage. Because you don't take time to have real conversation to discuss expectations. Most conflict in family becomes because of unmet expectations and they're unspoken expectations. We don't talk about our real expectations. So I challenge you as a family to sit down and talk, clarify all the confusion about the expectations of what you want from Christmas. Sit down with the spouse. Sit down with who you're dating. Uh, Sit down with your parents. Sit down with your kids. Talk about it. What do you want from Christmas? If you don't have conversations like this, you have unmet expectations, parents get mad, grandparents get mad, in-laws get mad, exes get mad, all this stuff happens because there's no clarity. There's no one all on the same page of this is where we're headed. It's basic leadership principles here, church. It's basic leadership. It's very simple. And yet we don't do it. And when you don't do it, you get exhausted, overscheduled, overcommitted, overspending, you get in trouble, and Jesus doesn't even show up at all in your experience. But if you do this, you can have what I want to call expectation clarity. And when you have in your family expectation clarity, you can experience unity. And when you have expectation clarity and unity, your family can experience the hope, the peace, the joy, and the love that God wants you to experience through Jesus in this season. So here's some questions I want to encourage you to think about asking your family and ask yourself. Hey, how can we keep Jesus at the center of our family this Christmas? How can we do that? How can we keep Jesus Christ at the center? What would it look like for Christ to be at the center of our finances? Our budget. Just ask that question. What would it look like? What would it look like for Christ to be the center of our calendar so we're just not chasing ourselves the whole time to experiencing the joy, the love, the peace, the hope that he has? I mean, what would it look like for that to happen? What would it look like? Hey, how are we going to engage with our neighbors? Hey, parents, here's a question. How are we going to engage with our kids so they know what Christmas really is all about? How are we going to do that? talk about it. How are we going to engage with our church? How are we going to engage with our neighbors who have no church home, who have no understanding of faith, who are really going through a hard time? How are we going to do that? Uh, One of the most powerful leadership lessons I learned in vivid memories of high school growing up uh, was when our high school football team uh, had a pregame speech by our coaches, Coach Mercer. I went to Wichita Falls, played at Wichita Falls Rider. Uh, We were playing Wichita Falls Coyotes, our crosstown rivals. And it was a very big game, the last game of the year. Only one team advanced to the playoffs, not four. A lot of pressure on the line, and they had been going repeatedly, right, back, back then. And uh, to make the hype even higher, someone from our school had gone and killed a coyote. They were the coyotes and ran that sucker up the flagpole of their school. Uh, they show up on Monday morning. You kind of get the picture. They're unhappy about that. Uh, our main player was Tommy Isabel. He was our quarterback. He faked his own kidnapping. 
It was reported on the news he was kidnapped by the opposing school, getting to, to lose the game. Uh, their main player was Ronnie Littleton, who was an All-State since a sophomore. Eventually goes on to TCU. Big story about Ronnie Littleton. So a lot of hype. So before the game, we're about to run out there on the field, and he calls us together and said, guys, before we go out there, uh, I want us to pray. I thought, yeah, we always pray. And so we got down on the knee, took off helmets, and I just figured it was a regular prayer going. He said, guys, close your eyes. And he said, I want you to picture... Uh, what's going to happen when you run out on that field? I thought we were praying. We are. I said, keep your eyes closed. I want you to picture what the student section is going to say when you run out on that field. They're going to get into your head. And how are you going to respond? I want you to play it out. When you're on offense and the defense changes at the line of scrimmage the very last second, and you feel this chaos. Oh, no, that's not what we expect. How are you going to respond when that happens? Now play it out. What are you going to do? Uh, when you fumble, when you, when you give up the ball, when you cause a turnover, and you feel all this, you messed up, how are you going to respond? Think about it. How do you want to respond? Play it out. He went through scenario after scenario after scenario. It's a great leadership lesson. It's a question of vision. When you figure out what you want for Christmas and how Christ is going to be at the center of it, get that picture in your head, how are you going to play it out? When the in-laws ask you to do this, when the ex builds up and does it, how are you going to respond? How are you going to play it out so you're not repeating old past tapes, old ways of responding? Play it out. How are you going to play it out when all these people start asking you, do this, do this, do this? How are you going to play on your calendar? Play it out. How are you going to respond so your calendar stays sane, not insane? Play it out. This coming week, you say, I want Christ to be at the center. Okay, play it out. This week, when something happens, how is Jesus going to be in the center when this happens? How are you going to respond when this happens? Play it out. Have a plan. Next weekend, you want Christ at the center. Okay, right now, I'm making this decision. We want to get Christmas right. Christ in the center. Worship next weekend. Are we going to be here or are we not? What's going to happen? Play it out. Church, from your marriage to your finances to your calendar, you've got to have a picture in your head of what you want, and you've got to play it out how you're going to respond when the world comes crashing in, because it will. Know what you want and play it out. Second, over in John chapter 3, very famous scripture. Uh, if you've never underline this passage in your Bible, you're new to church, you're not even sure if you believe in God, this would be a great place to start. Just kind of start this one verse. If you don't read any verse in the Bible, read this. It's from John 3, 16. It goes like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I'll just stop right there. Uh, for God so loved the world. We're talking about God. Almighty God, the creator and sustainer who took nothing and created all this. This God so loved every crook and cranny of the world, every person born or to be born, so loved that he gave his very best. He didn't give leftovers. 
He didn't give what was on two for one. He didn't give the old stuff out of his closet. He gave his very best, his one and his only When I read that verse and I stop right there, I'm just blown away by the radical generosity of God. He sees you and me, his sons and daughters, his children on planet Earth, and our life is a mess. Anybody here besides me find their life sometimes been in a mess? Anybody here ever been in a mess in your family? I mean, just a mess. And God says, I see my children and I'm just not going to pray for them. I'm going to leave this, and I'm going get, to get involved in the middle of their mess. And I'm going to give them my best. I'm going to give them my son. So they will know that I am with them, that I am for them, that I see them, that I know them, and that I love them. I'm going to give them my best. That's radical generosity if I've ever seen it. And if you're going to get Christmas right in your notes, um, i got to be radical generous to people in need. I'm just going to have to figure out what does it mean for me to be radically generous to people in need. And you know what that means? That means that, I, listen, some of you, uh, this is not, I know some of you are going through some heavy stuff right now. You've got some stuff going on. And I don't mean to make light of any of it. But for some of you, you need to hear this in a, with the intent. Some of you got to get out of your pity party. You got to get out of yourself and stop focusing on your own suffering, your own pain, your own problems, and be aware of the people around you, where you work, where you go to school, your gym, where your kids go to school, where you go to shop. Be aware of those people. That's what God did. He became so aware of it. And think, how can I enter into their story and be radically generous with my story with them? It's not all about you. Here's the way to do this. I'm going to give you a bunch of ideas, very practical. Here's the first one. Some of you, you're going to walk out of this worship service, you're going to go on your phone, you're going to call somebody you know that had someone die this past year that's really struggling, that's really hurting. And you're going to invite them say, hey, listen, we have a candlelight remembrance service at our church today at 4 o'clock p.m. And we're going to speak the name of your loved one. We're going to speak their name. And we're going to have a prayer. And you get to light a candle to honor them. And you'll find it healing. We'll provide, and you can come. Do I have to be a member of your church? No, just come. Just come. Just come. It might be painful, but it will help you move through the season. Just come. And so you're going to do that. Uh, some of you, before the end of the year, you got to buy a new car. Some of you, for whatever reason, it's the time people like to do that. That's why they hit you so hard with advertisements. So maybe you want to give your car to Cars for Christ here at your church. Uh, we had a family who did that. Uh, it was a man who got a promotion here. Uh, he knew he was getting a, a company car, and they had a van he'd been wanting to do something with. And so they had a family meeting. He said, you know what? Instead of selling this car, we're going to give this car to the church so they can bless someone. So they did that. And it goes to a single mom in our church who had a job and she had a car payment, but the car payment was so high she could barely pay her bills and take care of her kids. So now she gets this van and she doesn't have the car payment anymore. They take it back and she's free and clear. And now she's no longer financially insane. 
And she was so touched and moved by the gift, she starts worshiping at Pathway. And so the family who gave the gift is walking out of worship, and the daughter goes, hey, there's our van, and there's somebody in it. They're driving away. <laughs> you know, ah! And the dad said, hey, 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 don't you remember? We talked about this. We gave this card to the church so God could use it to bless someone. And the mom said, yeah, and it went to a single mom. And now she can afford to take care of her kids and get them there and whatever. And they taught their daughter what radical generosity looked like and the impact of it. And church, I'm just telling you, the world is telling your children that Christmas is about radical consumption, not radical generosity. And the story of Jesus is not blessed are those who receive, but blessed are those who Because God gave his son his best. How are you going to enter into the stories of other people so you can give them of yourself? Uh, parents, some of you, go home with your kids or your grandkids, sit down, have them go in their closet and find something they think is their best and have them give it away to a shelter. Not what they have outgrown. Teach them. It's about giving your best. Sit down and talk about birthday gift to Jesus so your kids understand when you come on Christmas Eve what your birthday gift. Talk and teach them about that. Uh, come up here for our, our next weekend. We're going to have a, a, a Casa Toy Drive. Uh, seven days. Uh, toy gifts on a tree uh, for kids in the foster care system who do not have nowhere they're going to be next. Uh, have your kids participate. And it's not just about money and stuff. What would it look like for you to be radical, generous with your time? Think about it. Your time is your most valuable commodity. Would you agree? Time. What would it look like for you to slow your life down and actually talk to people, listen to people, introduce yourself to people in line? What about in worship? What about if you actually stopped and took the time to talk to someone after worship that's sitting behind you instead of just rushing out the door? Did you know that Christmas is the new Easter, that people are more open to an invitation to come to worship on Christmas, even more so than Easter? And that if you took the time, took the time to get to know someone and to know their story, to act like you really cared about them and not really act but really care about them and you invited them to come with you on Christmas Eve, do you know the majority of them would accept your invitation if they thought you really cared if you took the time to get to know them? Be radically generous with someone with your time. And if you feel uncomfortable inviting him to Christmas Eve, that sounds too much, invite him to photos with Santa. Uh, you know we have seven opportunities at the church. They can come up and bring their family. Does it cost me anything? No. Do I have to be a member of your church? No. Just come up here and bring your kids, your grandkids, give you a free photo, have a great fun experience with your kids. It's going to be awesome and wonderful and create a memory with your family. You could do that. Or what about be radically generous with your prayers? You ever thought about praying for people besides just your own little crew? And think about praying for people that are struggling, you know, at work or your gym who are struggling with faith, who are just struggling with life and just pray for them. Or what about be generous with grace? 
Anybody here besides me received a lot of grace in their life? I mean, I received so much grace, my cup runneth over. In fact, I need a bigger cup. <laughs> what about between now and Christmas, you make a commitment to stop being so critical, stop being so mean-spirited, stop being so judgmental, stop looking for everything that's wrong and everything, and just give grace to people. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Because that's what God did when he gave his best, when he gave his son. He just gave grace. So if you're going to get Christmas right, I suggest you're going to have to find a way for your family to figure out what it means to be radically generous. Here's our last verse, John 1, 14. It says, in the word... Some of you need to underline this in your Bible. The Word became flesh, and it made his dwelling among us. That is the Word. That is God. That is the Logos. God Almighty, all-knowing God, became flesh and blood, became soul and life, and moved into the middle of the mess of people's life. He lived among them. Now, the Hebrew people... When they would read this word right here, the word, whether it's in Hebrew or in Greek, they would connect it to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And by high school, uh, they would have those memorized. Do you realize this? By high school students, they would have those books of the Bible memorized. Because those books of the Bible, the first five, really, are what shows how to live, how to love God and how to love other people, the great commandment. It really does. So here's what the scripture is saying. God, Almighty, the first five books, that teaching became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus. He became the living, breathing example of what it looks like to love God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he did it right among us. He became incarnation. God in the flesh. In your notes. Here's the last thing. Create memory-making traditions, memory-making family traditions. When God was born in the flesh in Bethlehem, it was so unexpected, it turned everybody upside down. It created these new memories from Matthew to Revelation and these new practicing traditions of faith. Now, I'm going to do this very quickly. I'm going to hit you. I got nine of them. Boom, boom, boom. Practical ways in your family you can create some traditions that will make memories, and traditions happen when you have a void, unexpected, that will just change your family and help you get Christmas right. Here's the first one. Uh, Dallas, uh, years ago, she was about to throw away a half-gallon milk carton. She said, hold it. I'm not throwing that milk carton away. Come in here, boys. We're going to make gingerbread houses. They said, no, we're not. She said, yes, we and she got out the graham cracker cookies, and she got out the little bit of icing she had, and they started sticking those things on that milk carton, and they were complaining all the way, <laughs> griping. And next year they said, Mama, can we make those gingerbread cookie house things again? <laughs> and the next year, and the next year, and it became a memory experience between Mom and her sons where they talked about real stuff about Christmas and now we're about to do this with our granddaughter. Here's one. Parents, grandparents, go buy the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Don't buy the video. And say, hey, go watch this. Go buy the book. 
the Chronicles of Narnia and just lay down at night and read a little bit to your children, you'll learn something <laughs> about Jesus. You'll be blessed, and your kids really will. Simple thing to do. Uh, parents, uh, take your kids to their grandparents' house. Turn on the phone and have your kids ask your grandparents, ask your parents questions. Hey, tell us what life was like in the 50s. Tell us what life was like in the 40s. Depends on the age. Tell us what life was like in the 1800s. <laughs> hey, tell us what life was like in your childhood and record it. Ask this question. Tell us where you went to church. Why did you go to church? What did you do on Christmas as a kid? You want to bless your kids with a gift that will make Christmas right? You get them to hear the legacy of their family and the heritage of their faith, and man, they will hang on that till the end of time. What a gift that you could give. Parents, grandparents, go get some wrapping paper. Clear the table, put the wrapping paper upside down, tape it down to the table, get the kids or grandkids around the table, and go, I want you to draw a picture of something that you think about when you think about Christmas or a value or a truth about Christmas. Everybody draws it. Give them a marker. Then you go around the circle, do this once a week, and everybody talk about it. Have a family interaction of talking about it. And just collect that over the course of four weeks. Put it on the wall on Christmas Day. And man, just see this decapods of what God has done and the, the Christmas experiences that you have had together. Here's another one that's going to make some teenagers in the room panic. Pick up all the phones and put them in a drawer and lock them up for two hours. No social media, no iPad, no television, no technology whatsoever, not even one photo to take capture it and post on Instagram, look, we're doing nothing. No, <laughs> you can't even do that. You set the timer on the stove for two hours, and they will hate you for the first 15 minutes. The scripture says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The greatest need of a child or grandchild is for your presence. They won't tell you that. They will tell you they want to be on their phone. They want to be on their iPad. You know why? They've defaulted to that because they don't have you. They never have your undevoted attention. You're thinking about work. You're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking about all this stuff instead of just being fully present on them. In the flesh, you incarnate in front of them. Because what they really need is you. And you'll be amazed what can happen just being with your kids or your spouse. What a concept, just being with your spouse. One of the favorite memories of our family is going, driving for two hours and seeing Christmas carols and looking at Christmas lights. Our kids griped and complained the first year when I said, go get in the car, we're going to look at lights and you're going to love it. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the songs and, and the next year they griped and complained because we didn't do it long enough. And the next year, because we didn't do it soon enough, I'm just saying, church, do something to create memories that your kids will hang on to. Here's three new things you can do. Christmas shindig this week. 
uh, on Friday. Uh, we have here a Christmas shindig. It's going to be fun music in this room. I mean, it's going to be fun. You notice there's two of them, one at 6, one at 7. It's not going to last very long. It's going to be incredible. Excuse me, at 7 p.m. It's December 6, 7 p.m. It's just fun Christmas music. It'll be a blessing for the whole family. You're going to enjoy that. A lot of fun. Or on the 22nd, I believe it is, of December, we have a, uh, 21st, the cantata, the Christmas cantata. The choir is going to sing, have a presentation over in the sanctuary. And then, of course, we have the photos from Santa. Six or seven opportunities uh, just to come up here to create memories as a tradition with your family. Here's the last thing, number four, and I'm going to get you out of here. Read the Christmas story. Between now and Christmas, I want you to read the story over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know that Advent, the purpose of Advent in the fourth century was to think about the second coming of Christ. But in the sixth century, the church changed it. Hey, let's remember why Christ came and how he came. And some of you are so busy doing Christmas, if I were to ask you a question about Christmas, you couldn't give me the answer, the right answer. Because all you've got, you've gotten on television for someone who's been talking because you've not read this yourself. So if you'll notice on the back of your life steps this week, you're going to be reading the Christmas story from the book of John all week long. Fifteen minutes. Just read it. Next week, Isaiah. Next week will be Luke or Matthew. The following week will be Luke or Matthew. And just sink it in. And then I'm going to ask you to do something once a week. Parents or grandparents, listen. Don't be packing. I want you to read one of these verses with your kids. One little short story. And say, what does this mean to you? Do you have a question about it? Actually talk to them about parts of the Christmas story. Or each week, we're going to have one word each week. This word, the, week the word this week is hope. That candle, it's all about hope. Sit down with your family, 30 minutes, max. Say, hey, kids, define hope. You ever heard a six-year-old define hope? You might learn something, parents. They might teach you something. Draw a picture of hope. Let's, what does hope mean to you? And just talk about it. Next week is peace. Go ask an 18-year-old. Define peace. You might be enlightened by what they would have to tell you. Here's all I'm saying. Get into the story and read it and let it come alive in your house. And if you do all these things, you have a chance when you get to the end to look back and go, God showed. family's different. We're not exhausted. I'm not worried about the credit card debt. <laughs> I'm ready to go for the new year. Because this year, we got Christmas right. Everybody, sanctuary, three words, ark, will you please stand? Prayer blessing over you as you go out these doors. If you're online watching, you can do that. I invite you to stand. If you're driving, just keep driving. <laughs> God, we're about to emerge out into a world of a culture that draws us, sucks us in to radical consumption, to radical busyness, hurried, frenetic pace of living life. And as we go out these doors by your spirit, help us be convicted, to be intentionally deliberate, to get Christmas right this year for the sake of our family. 
Christ may be in the center. And you would use us to spread the good news that you left heaven and came to earth because you love us. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name.